Welcome to In Search of Wisdom, a podcast by the Perennial Leader Project. On today's episode, my guest is Shane Trotter, the author of Setting the Bar, preparing our kids to thrive in an era of distraction, dependency, and entitlement. Shane is an educator, a strength and conditioning coordinator, and a writer. If you're not already subscribed to his Substack, it's called Setting the Bar. I highly recommend it. In the conversation, Shane and I discuss becoming an adult, reflecting on what matters, the role of responsibility, rediscovering rites of passage, overcoming challenges, navigating anxiety, and much more. As you'll hear in the episode, Shane is someone with a deep interest in philosophy, psychology, and character development. I always learn something when I connect with Shane, and this conversation was no exception. But before we bring on our guest, I just have one quick announcement, and that is there's a new course that launched this week called Perennial Habits where we're exploring the art and science of change. The course is seven weeks long, and it's free for our Perennial Meditations members on Substack. I'll put a link in the show notes to sign up and learn more. All right, without any further delay, please welcome the wise and gracious Shane Trotter. It's good to have you, man, as we were just chatting about. I'm really grateful for you taking the time to to chat. I've been I've enjoyed going back through your book and and I'm excited to to talk about it. For a reminder for the listeners, we're going to be discussing your book Setting the Bar, preparing our kids to thrive in an era of distraction, dependency, and entitlement. And we're going to see if we could laser focus in on uh, the last chapter of your book, which is titled The Transition to to Adulthood. So much to, to chat about there. And um, I think it's an important conversation. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Josh. It's great to be here, like I said. And, and, and as we were saying off the uh, or before we, we hit record, that is uh that really puts everything in, into focus, uh, I think, um, you know, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to raising kids in general, uh, remembering that that they are going to transition into adulthood. Adulthood is really the point of uh, good youth development. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's even, um, you know, I, I think about it sometimes in the way of you, you think of a, of a journaling practice and you're examining your day as even a marker for ourselves or getting some sort of clarity of, you know, what it means to be an adult, what type of adult do I want to be as I, as I navigate, you know, my path in life. So maybe if I could open up with a, a difficult and broad question there, <laughs> you know, what does it mean to be in a, an adult, you know, to you, Shane? Well, 
I'll, I'll answer that, but in a roundabout way, like I love to do, which is to say that that is the question, right? That is the question that that I would argue that um, that that too many of us adults are neglecting to ask. And and, and to your point, um, it's so easy to to neglect to ask that even of ourselves, not even for our children. We, you know. Uh, you, you can notice that trend in yourself if you journal or something, um, to, or some sort of com- com- reflective practice where you very easily slip into the minutia of the day to day and forget the broader purpose that this is your life. You know, what type of person do you want to do? go, you know, zoom out? Um, you know, what type of adult do I want to be? Um, and, and yes, so as a, as a society, I think I think we are failing to ask the question, um, A, when do you become an adult? But even more important, what does it mean to be an adult? Uh, that is the 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 eventual um the endpoint for, for every child, where they're going. Uh I think that we have not done a good enough job making that a really exciting and desirable place. Uh, to be, it, it's not motivating to them. I think many many youth today look at that like, oof, you know, I, uh, being an adult looks looks awful. Why would I want to go in that direction? Versus, you know, this is an empowering thing. It's a type of person that you get to embody. You know, kind of a heroic mentality of like, I aspire to be this kind of person. Um, that's that, that's uh, how a lot of cultures approached it, but that seems to be lost now. There's no rite of passage. No. No yearning to be this type of person that, you know, you can call an adult or, you know, other societies might call it a warrior. But, you know, for males and females, there was a, a, an archetype they wanted to embody. Uh, and, 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 you know, it, I'm, I'm speaking of it in terms that are really foreign to the modern to, to the modern psyche. Uh, we've forgotten that there should be this this, this archetype, this this ideal that we're striving to body that, 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 you know, that, that to be a man, to be a woman, to, to have the respect of those men and women that you once looked up to. Um, so yes, like, uh, first and foremost, uh, uh, to be an adult, I think means to take personal responsibility for your own life. Um, you know, there's a, there's been a lot made out of, you know, nature, nurture, you know, you know, <laughs> whether we have free will, all this stuff, but, the reality is uh, there is no happiness. There is no success. There is no fulfillment. There is no um, self-respect until you take personal responsibility for your life, for the outcomes in your life, whether good or bad, for the uh, habits that plague you, uh, you know, that, that you have to overcome them. Uh, They might not have been your, your fault. You may have, you know, uh, very, very innocently pick them up, um, kind of habits of mindset from your parents, uh, from all sorts of, you know, from society at large. Maybe you had, uh, you, you learn that, that you've developed a fixed mindset that you don't, uh, you know, at a certain point, you cannot really claim to be an adult until you say it is what it is. Everyone has these, the, these, um, disadvantages in one way or another in their history. Uh, but my life is my own and I have to take responsibility for my own success or failure. Um, I, so personal responsibility, um, and a certain level of competency. Uh, we can, we, you know, we can, we could look at competency in a lot of different domains. Um, you, you know, the ability to stand on your own two feet. I think that is, um, 
missing today. Uh, a real deadline to dependency, as I call it in the last chapter of the book. But, um, you know, there's such a tendency amongst parents. You know, every parent wants to, you know, part of being a parent is to provide and to protect. Um, but those intuitions have to be balanced against the uh, the other part of being a parent, which is to make your son or daughter capable of thriving in a volatile world. Um, so, you know, providing and protecting to the maximum extent, uh, that is that runs contrary to the other part of your mission as a parent uh, or a teacher, which is to make them capable of thriving in this chaotic world. So there's kind of this tension between those those, those two elements. And as they get older, you pull back on providing and protecting. Uh, and you, you, you know, in, you have that ideal in mind that they have to be, um, at a certain point capable of standing on their own two feet. You're there for guidance. You're there for support. Um, but maybe you don't offer as much as you could because you realize that the hard lesson is the only way that they're really going to understand and become what they're capable of. So that, that idea of capability, of competency, um, uh, of deadlines to dependency, the, the, the sink or swim being, being the, the only way that we can learn some lessons. Um, I think these are really important ideas as we, you know, as, as we dig into what adulthood is. It's so fascinating to me. And in a way, like as you're describing it, knowing some sort of middle way or knowing some sort of balance in me as a, as a parent, I have, I have younger kids like, like yourself in a way it's easy in another way, really challenging to know and really complex in a way. Like I think of, um, I think I might've brought it up in our, our last conversation, but something that has always stuck with me in Angela Duckworth's book grit, where she brings in this idea of uh, a teacher, parent, you know, whatever it may be, being demanding and supportive seems to be so challenging for us to hold these two opposing views at the same time. It's like we want to think one side of that completely is the way and totally maybe miss that it's also, you know, um, we're we're both fans of um, Richard Rohr, if I can, if I can say that in terms of the, a big and in the middle of that. Yes. And, and you mentioned, you recommended a book that I was not familiar with that I'm, I'm about halfway through the, the audible version of it, um, Adam's return, but it's all about rites of passage. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I'm glad you, you recommended it. And I've heard um, it, roar quoted by by many others of we live in a society of of the uninitiated you know just this group of we 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 lost the wisdom of some sort of rite of passage like how do you think about that as a as a parent of of some sort of rite of passage in the in the modern world do you think much of that or any thoughts you could share with me as a fellow parent Yes, I, I, I think of it all the time. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I'd really like to, yeah, I, I'd really like to spell that out better for for myself and for my own, not just my own kids, but my own community. Because I think for rites of passage to be really valuable, they have to be done in a community context. Um, mm. They have they have to 
the 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 rite of passage needs to come with some sort of change in status in your local community uh, or your subgroup, whatever it is, um, and, and and change of feel. Um, what is really at the core of this, I think, is this understanding that your children have to face some sort of trials and pain um, in order to be the greatest versions of, of themselves. They cannot be, you cannot teach them everything. You can try, you can do your best, but you have to be willing to accept that. You have to have an ideal that you hold higher than your children's and your own uh, immediate sense of comfort. Um, and, um, and, and, and this is, this has been something that, that most traditions have understood in, at a very deep level. Uh, and the, you know, it gets to my chapter three, which is on anti-fragility, the concept that, that the things that hurt instruct that, uh, and, and to really understand something, you have to experience it. So, um, you know, one of the things Roar does such a great job of explaining, um, is that the pain that, that we all have what I would call like a Phoenix moment or a, a, a Christ on the cross moment, right? It's this idea that the, the greatest blessing in your life, the, the, the thing that catapults you to another level of conscience, consciousness, to another level of uh, contribution, to, to a higher level of living, to real purpose. Um, the thing that makes you an adult, that makes you uh, just live on a higher plane is probably almost definitely going to be your greatest pain. Um, so to some degree or another, uh, those who have an epic breakdown, uh, maybe go to AA or whatever it is, they're the lucky ones because their pain has has become so great that it, it, it forced them to have to confront the thing uh, and overcome it. Um, and and so in, in that in, in that regard, the twelve steps program is really like a rite of passage for some. Um, but 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 you know, I, I I truly believe to some degree or another, we all have some sort of affliction that that is is gr- trying to grab us. Uh, trying you know that that pain that is going to be what catapults us to the next level. For me, it was you know in college, I I, I had a an all encompassing uh, anxiety disorder. Uh, a, a form of obsessive compulsive disorder known as uh, pure O, where there wasn't the compulsive kind of touching or checking, but it was just these rituals I did in my mind to try to to, to drive irrational things away. And, and, and it's it really would be impossible to understand without experiencing it, but it ran my life for three years. And it was, it was the thing that finally forced me to understand um, how to organize my life around thriving how to uh, train my mind, how to, um, you know, build, build my habits and my world, my environment around things that would, that would help me thrive. And, and to really uh, develop this passion for um, the conditions where humans thrive. Uh, and, and so that was, that was crucial for me. Um, I think the, the risk in the modern world is that we have so many numbing agents that can distract people from those those things in their in their life that would be the the phoenix moment the christ on the cross moment the 
um, the, the worst thing in the world that could happen to you that becomes the best thing in the world that, that could happen to you. Um, and so th- that, that is one, one of the things, you know, that's really what motivates me most now is I see more angst than ever. Uh, the kids are experiencing these moments early and they're, and they're in tons of pain. Um, but the broader culture, uh, really discourages them from diving into the pain and, and, and experiencing the benefits of that pain. Um, you know, we have just have so many numbing agents. Um, so to, to, to get straight back to your point, you know, how do I think of a rite of passage in the modern world? Um, I think it's essential. I think it, it has to be rooted in, in, in a deeper value structure. Uh, it has to be something that, that, uh, a, a community structure around you, uh, recognizes. Uh, it has to be a, um, it, it has to be a, a real, um, real, have, have real status tied to it. Um, and it, it has to be a real challenge, um, that, um, that, that comes, with, with your own sense of self-respect and self-understanding from coming through. Um, so I think what Roar would say, which is kind of opening my eyes, is that you can you can do uh, this community rite of passage as I'm describing it, but really all it's going to do is, um, is give you a better capacity to overcome the the real rite of passage when it confronts itself in your own life. If that does it, if that makes sense mm. that you know, I, I've been talking about these, everyone has some sort of affliction that's going to catapult them. Um, but, uh, that, that it's important to have kind of a structural social rite of passage, a, a, a communal system around you for developing you into an adulthood and having expectations and deadlines to dependency and, and challenges along the way, expectations of work or whatever they are. Um, but, those are more than anything, just, just kind of your training ground for when you really have to face uh, what life throws your way. Yeah. That seems to be an important point of the idea of some sort of preparation for some sort of bigger rite of passage that, that you're going to face and experience. I, I read a book once and I, I just can't recall who the, author was, but it was, um, something about creating what, what I would maybe put in the category of a rite of passage for his kids. You know, he had three or four kids and at some point in time there was, you know, like six months or a year where there were certain things that, that he and basically the parents did together. It was, um, Maybe it was read a couple books. There was like, I remember one did, uh, you know, like a half marathon and there was something else. But basically there was three components kind of. Uh, um, and it, it seemed to be like in my mind, as I think about it now and remember, you know, reading it, that um, wouldn't necessarily be complete, but does seem like it would be really helpful. You know, mm-hmm. at some point in time, it was like right around the the maybe I think uh, thirteen age, 
And and I mm-hmm. remember him saying it depends on, you know, you have to kind of gauge of when, you know, your your particular kid might might be ready. But and you give them a bit of agency to craft what these particular, you know, challenges will will be. But it does seem like some sort of valuable thing of, you know, maybe it's a a summer going into high school or, you know, at at the right moment, some sort of thing of where you can have the opportunity to overcome a challenge. I think we've all felt that of when you there's something that you're just not quite sure that you're able to do or even farther than that, you think you're not able to do it and you do it, you're, you're standing a bit taller on the other, on the other side of that. So I'm, I'm curious, I, I, I completely agree in terms of the community thing of it being part of a community and a status thing, but maybe that's not, that, that sounds a bit more challenging to do. Like, as I think about it, like, can we craft something within the within the family unit that might be, and maybe it's the extended family unit. That's a significant thing. Any, any thoughts there? Well, I think it's, it's a case of um, every little bit helps the more, the better and don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Do what you can. Certainly if you are the the sort of parent that really defines and, and, and takes the time. So I'm a, building a uh i don't know if it's going to be an ebook or what it is right now but i'm really getting into creating this thing um that i'm titling build your family like a division one program Mm -hmm. and basically i i heard a podcast interview with davos winnie and i was blown away i mean this guy just he the the approach he takes to the culture he builds is it's so well thought out it's there's so much passion there's so much energy um and there's all the things that, that, you know, if you've read the culture code or any of these books that, that great cultures have. And so it occurs to me as I'm reading, you know, these books and, and, and thinking about the Dabo uh, interview, it's like, yes, be intentional at, about your family, build your family, have a family motto, have, you know, decide what are those landmark moments? What are the artifacts in your house going to be that convey the values that are most important. Um, what are the challenges, the landmark moments? Um, how are you going to celebrate those landmark moments? Um, so, so, so that's what I'm trying to create right now. It's actually kind of a guide to, to helping parents ask themselves these questions. So, because I think that the more you can do that, the better off you're going to be. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, so the more intentional you can be, um, and asking these questions, really thinking through these things. Um, having said that again, it's going to be a case where the more, uh, the, the, the more you can take that circle, circle broad, uh, the better, because, um, especially for our kids, uh, the society around you and the subgroup, the subculture around you, uh, is so influential. Um, I, I, I had a blog post, um, or newsletter post that, that I sent out this morning, actually, uh, on the nurture assumption, kind of responding to the nurture assumption, uh, which the, the blank on the psychologist's name, but she basically makes the case that uh, that that we assume that nature and nurture uh, that, that that in in that um, nature via nur- nature versus nurture uh, is um, nurture is how you're raised by your parents, but 
more important, she's found, uh, is, is the subgroup, your peers, all right, and the peer culture around you has tends to have more influence than the parents, which for any parent is just like ding, 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 ding. I need to figure out how to how to you know surround my kids by the right subcultures. Um, but, you know, because whatever's normal in the world around them is what they're gonna gravitate towards. Um, even as much or maybe even a little more than how what what you make normal in your house. So um but that is where a rite of passage has more power if it's done uh if you can unite with people around you. And um an example of how you might do that. So you you were talking about a books, and I've read similar books um over the years, but there's one great one that I came across. It's actually what uh opened my eyes to Richard Rohr. It's called The Intentional Father by John Tyson. Mm-hmm. Um John Tyson um he uh he basically he created a uh six year ma- manhood right uh a process of transitioning from boyhood to manhood that started at age 13 uh very well thought out with a lot of research into uh he called it the primal path a lot of research into other traditions and how they you know how their manhood processes worked and uh, he he contacted his sons, uh, parents of his sons, and they did it together. Uh, and and so it's a beautiful model. I would kind of change a few things here and there myself, but it really is a gorgeous model uh, that th- that you could really point to. You could sh- share that book with with other parents, uh, people you know, people in your own community, and maybe sit down and talk about how you might. Uh, craft something similar uh, in your own world. I know for me, I immediately gave it to uh, a young pastor at my church who has kids of a similar age. And I'm like, all right, listen, you know, I get a five-year-old and a four-year-old, you get a four-year-old and a two-year-old. By the time our kids are 13, we're going to be running this and we need to grow it now. (laughs) Um, But, you know, the the other thing that um, is perhaps there's a way you can work with uh, a local school and you can start to start to create a group that, that, that you know, one thing I did last year uh, in the same vein, I work in a school, so it makes it easy, but I have a men's group. It's an invitation only men's group that I run. Uh, we meet weekly. Um, we start every meeting by jumping in a 47 degree cold tub. You know, there's this whole, you know, kind of uh, experiential element to it. And we discuss readings and and it, it's a really neat thing. And it's the sort of thing I imagine um, you could start to do, even if you didn't work in a school system, you could, you know, the, the, these things take time, but you could start to grow something. So I would, you know, long winded response, but every little bit helps. But the more you can attract uh, other people around you, the better. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. I appreciate you sharing that. I'm I'm probably going to pick up this book uh, today. I would imagine um, it's a good one. You'll love it. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really good one. Yeah. Yeah. Good. It, I want to touch back on the the ebook that you mentioned. The, the stuff that you're putting together. You know, you heard Dabo Sweeney. I have really been fascinated by some of these uh, successful coaches. And uh, one being John Wooden, like if you read any of John Wooden's books, known as the, you know, many people call the greatest coach of all time, the clarity that 
they have it it's it's almost it seems like that might be the difference between you know one of these people that are successful and are able to you know bring people together and and one that isn't you, you could imagine they're probably saying the same thing and if you think from a parenting thing many parents are saying the same thing it's like what is the difference between that household where there's you know, influence in, in, in unity and maybe, you know, some that are just more effective than others. Same thing with teachers and leaders and all sorts of positions. But uh, I saw, I want to say it was maybe, maybe four or five years ago. Are you familiar with uh, PJ Fleck? I think I'm getting mm-hmm. his name. Oh, right. yeah. Was, yeah. Rose Minnesota. Bowl, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but there was like a seven part series when he first got to Minnesota that was on ESPN that I remember watching. And the level of clarity that yes. is happening. And I would bet that Dabo Sweeney and these other people or Alabama and the process, uh, the clarity of just you even think of words, you know, you say something. But that word has a different meaning. If there's five people there, everyone essentially has it is interpreting that and has a, um, a slightly different meaning oftentimes where. With PJ Fleck, there's there's a dictionary. There's all of these words, you know, what it means. <laughs> what does row the boat actually mean? And in all of these different things. It's look like a huge yeah. long binder. Um, but even some of these, maybe maybe people might put them in the category of like, you know, corny acronyms or or whatever it may be. But he's got this idea of of family forget about me. I love you. You know, and these people are saying it, but Mm -hmm. it's a weird thing of, uh, I remember many years ago, some sort of Super Bowl special with the, um, New England Patriots and the number of people at the end of that game that were saying to these other grown men that they're on a team with saying, I love you. I mean, it was just back and forth and it didn't seem like it was some sort of, Hey, we just won the Super Bowl, So I'm going to say, I love you. It seemed natural. Mm-hmm. Like it was part of their culture, you know, of, of That's this, how thing. they spoke to each other. Yeah. That yeah. was just how they operate. And it's, um, it's interesting of thinking about something like that as a family or this small team of, you know, what do we mean when we say things to each other? How do we, how do we yeah. learn to to love each other and and have each other maybe receive that love? I don't know, not to get too um, deep, but it's an interesting thing of just even just receiving love, you know, w- within this particular family or unit or team or or classroom, whatever it may be, creating a culture like that. And uh, the most recent. Um, you know, Georgia Bulldogs, that was what people were talking about them. It was a really, obviously I got a lot of talented players, but it was a really close culture. This, and, it, and it's one of those rites of passages, if I remember correctly from uh, um, Roar's book of, you know, it's, it's not about you. Yeah, that would be, um, I wrote down his rules because I thought that was the one thing I, I wrote down going into this conversation because I was like, nice. those, his, his five rules of manhood, um, your life, number three, your life is not about you. 
Um, yeah. Would you yeah. mind going? Would you mind going through all five if you have them right there? Yes, they're beautiful. And, and uh, I, I will let you know that I'm, I'm holding back tears. Right, the mentioning the Georgia thing is hitting a little too close to home. Uh, <laughs> I'm a TCU Horn Frog. I was actually oh, yeah. in LA for that debacle. <laughs> oh God, that had to be a tough one. That had oh, to be it a hurt, tough man. One. It hurt. It was it was a great experience, but boy, yeah, you know, Georgia hats off they were all class and and uh they were dang good <laughs> yeah um yeah so uh the so i'll give you two things so i'll give you so this goes back to the intentional father by john tyson uh this is it where i first heard about richard Rohr. he uh talked about these four these five rules of, of becoming a man from richard Rohr. um but he talked about how he reframed them for his son uh so that they were a, they were demonstrating what it meant to become a man. So he used them as a way of of demonstrating what it meant to become a man. So he called them the five shifts. Uh, so uh, manhood is a shift from this to this. Um, so rich doors number one is life is hard, which John Tyson reframed as uh, manhood is a shift from ease to difficulty, mm. which I liked. Uh, you know, when you're young, you do. What's easy? Almost all the time, you follow your impulses. When you're a man um, or an adult, you learn to 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 put a higher ideal first. Um, you know that, that often. That's one reason athletics are such a you know they're, they're the microcosm of life. But it's for for many young people, it's their first exposure to oh li- look, I'm going to train. I'm going to eat different. I'm going to do whatever. Uh, I'm going to do something difficult now for something later. Academics can be that way way too. Um, number two is you are not important. That's Richard Rohr. Um, and, um, John Tyson says, uh, that it's a shift from, uh, from being about yourself to, to men are about others. So boys are about themselves and men are about others. Number three, uh, life is not, your life is not about you. Uh, which Tyson reframes as a uh, man has been coming a man is a shift from the whole to the part to realize that you are only part of a greater story. Um, number four, you are not in control, which Tyson reframed as uh, a manhood is a shift from control to surrender, um, which really struck home with me. I love that one. Um, and because uh, that's one, I think that, that you know, the other the other four you get earlier, but the control to surrender, I think, is something that most adults get even later on. <laughs> that might be like a 30 or 40 year. Um, yeah. And then the fifth is uh, you are going to die, uh, which Tyson sh- uh, reframed as a shift from the temporary to the eternal. Hmm. It's so fascinating. And I made a, a note. I highlighted a, a piece from your book which I think connects to, to all that you write, the human experience is hard and beautiful. We must slowly acquaint our kids with this realistic view of reality. It's like all of those, it seems to point to like seeing clearly, seeing reality. Here's, you know, how the world works. If, if you will, you know, it's like a, it's like a lens of maturity or, or, or something like that. Um, I, the idea of surrender is 
fresh in my mind. I just wrote something yesterday for um, the Monday email that I sent out. And it's it's fascinating. I completely agree that that is something that is not as obvious, you know, Mm -hmm. but there's so many different names for this, whether it's like acceptance, um, letting go, you know, in philosophical and spiritual practices and stuff like that. Like the Stoics talk about living in accordance with nature and Eastern philosophy, like the flow of life. I mean, so many of these Mm -hmm. wisdom traditions but we tend to want to think, I don't know how to say it, you know, but it's well, uh, the Western view is very, <laughs> the Western view, at least the post enlightenment Western view is very much. How can I, rather than bringing myself into harmony with the universe, it is how can I bend the universe so that it, 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 it how can I bend it to my will so that I get what I need from it? Yeah. And when you hear surrender, though, like I I put in this thing, you know, like what comes to mind in terms of surrender? I don't know. Maybe it's because I spent my like adult life in the military. I, I, you know, I want to connect it with like giving up or something like that or waving some sort of white flag, (laughs) which in, you know, in a in a way I it is a bit of that, you know, you're surrendering to how the world actually works, but you know, it's instead of giving up, I think I put something along the lines. It's, it's more about growing up, you know, Mm -hmm. um, but it's a difficult lesson. I think so many of these are lifelong things that you you get, you get a particular insight and then it wants to fade away. You know, it's so easy to forget some of these lessons and insights and put actually put into practice in daily life on a consistent basis, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. With with surrender, I think of, uh, the, the, the Bhagavad Gita, um, the, where you're exposed very clearly to the idea of Dharma purpose, um, which, Or, you know, if you're Western, that might be like teleological purpose or arete, like this thing that I am. Um, But, you know, an idea of Dharma and purpose, uh, which is balanced by this idea. uh, I think I can't remember exactly how it's said in the Bhagavad Gita, um, but um, you're entitled to the work, but not the fruits of your labor. Um, So it's it's reconciling the fact that. I forget who else said it, but it's one of my favorite quotes. Um, just do what must be, just do what must be done. Uh, this might not be happiness, but it is greatness. Uh, mm. and, and so that's kind of the adulthood thing. It's, it's, uh, it, I believe that that is the route to, to, to real fulfillment. Uh, maybe not immediate happiness, but you know, just d- determining what you stand for and just doing what must be done and surrendering control. Because who knows whether it's going to be fruitful. All you can do is do what must be done in each moment, learn. You know, you might be doing what you think must be done and it doesn't work out how you thought. Well, you get (laughs) to learn and adapt from that. Uh, But yeah, you surrender, uh, surrender this idea that you're in control uh, and surrender this, this, this yearning to manipulate the outcome and just, just, just focus on doing what must be done. It, it connects with me of something you said early in the conversation of maybe something being 
uninspiring, like at first glance, or if you, you know, if you said that to my 16 year old self, it might, I might receive that as an uninspiring thing of letting go of the fruits and letting go of the outcome. But putting it into practice over time, it is unbelievably liberating and 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 free to to let go of the outcome and just focus on the process, just focus on, you know, um, whatever it is, like enjoying the actual work. Yeah, the, it, I would agree. I would agree. And I think you're right that that's that's not something we can sell young people you know the idea of surrender is not um you know they're aspiring to feel their power grow they're aspiring to feel more capable um i would argue that um when you surrender is typically when when your your power does grow <laughs> um so so to, to some degree but more than that, it's it's people who have the and no one's great, you know. I, we're speaking in abstractions. Clearly, these are all still things I aspire to. All five of these, um, mm-hmm. uh, but um, I think over time, um, when you meet these people that have surrendered to something greater than than them, they blow you away. Um, they are the type of, of, of person, you know, a young person can aspire to be. Um, they have clarity of mission and they have clarity of values. Uh, and to, so to go back to what you were speaking about with these teams, um, you know, they might embrace the process and, and, and understand this idea of surrender, um, which means that they know exactly how they're going to do things. They're going to play the game the right way and let the chips fall where they may. And there's something uh, energetic, inspiring about seeing that. So, um, you know, truth is always in the paradox, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the idea, you, maybe that idea is not inspiring for, for, for a young person. Uh, but, but when you see it in practice, it, 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 it's, it's energizing. Yeah. I wanted to um, touch on this idea of anxiety. You have a quote in that in that final chapter that I, I really like by Kierkegaard. It says, to venture causes anxiety. Not to venture is to lose oneself. You know, for anyone listening, for you and I, you know, as we're navigating our way and maybe doing new things and how do you think about anxiety and navigating through it instead of it maybe hindering us from carrying out whatever our, you know, duty might be. Yeah. Um, well, and I know anxiety. Well, (laughs) I had to get to know it and understand, uh, at a very deep, you know, reptilian level, what was going on there, the fight or flight mechanism. Um, but yes, so much of, uh, if you, this really gets to the idea of the transition to adulthood as parents, we have to require our, our children to stand up to their fears gradually. That might be, um, you know, at a young age, helping them that, Oh, well, you know, you want the extension. 
you need to email your teacher. You know, helping them learn to advocate with them for themselves, helping them learn to call businesses for themselves, helping them rather than lining up the job for them, having them go in. You know, the, the basic little uh, little things that 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 are um, that when we don't have exposure uh, doing uh, overcome those overcoming those minor anxieties. We don't have the confidence to go do bigger things, to speak in public at a, you know, in front of a group of adults. Um, and so, uh, and, and these experiences are becoming less, less common. You know, you know, I remember my hand shaking as I, on a piece of paper, asked a girl for her number and was my hand shaking as I'm writing it down. And nowadays I can do the entire, the entire thing, you know, via, uh, not Facebook Messenger. I don't know what the cool kids are doing, but you know what I mean? I can do the whole thing behind a screen. Um, and so, um, yes, to, not to, I, there's so much in that quote, not to venture is to lose oneself. You really, if you don't ever put yourself in these, these moments where you face mild anxieties, you can't even know yourself. You can't know how you respond in these situations. You certainly can't grow. Uh, and that's, that's the ultimate death in my opinion. Um, and so, so the, so often, I think, I think even for us adults, it's, it, and understanding as adults, our model is so powerful. So, so maybe that's a good place to start. Um, you know, we're putting our kids in this sport, that sport, and all these new experiences, they're constantly facing failure and new experiences. And as an adult, it's, it, you know, perhaps, worth asking yourself when's the last time you jumped into a new experience what's the last time you you went somewhere that was brand new and, and kind of uh created some anxiety for you um the the this is the, the the path to real growth if so many of us adults too we aspire to do something greater like you have created something pretty cool um i believe uh, your your newsletter, what you're doing with your podcast, this took guts. Um, at a certain point, um, you had to make a jump. And I think so many adults have these ideas of who they want to be, and they've forgotten them. Um, I think it's very common, you know, to some degree or another, I think we, we demature in some ways. I think it's very common to be idealistic around 18, 19, 20. You're going to change the world. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And then you get into the work workforce, 22 to 25, 26, and you get lost in the minutia again. Uh, you kind of fall in a pattern. And then at that point, well, I have a job. I can't leave this job. And you forget about, you know, your real purpose. And you have all these, all these fears, these anxieties as to why you can't do this. Uh, all the, you know, I couldn't put myself out there uh you know publicly the way wait wait you know something someone might say the way josh is um i can't do this the way uh someone else is doing because i have a family and these you know these finances and these are real things but uh i think if you dig deeper into those anxieties so often the reasons we're telling us we can't do we can't become the people we know we we need to become um are often not very uh not very compelling reasons it's so true and man it's it's interesting and sad in a, in a way in the way of some dreams or creative pursuits or what you know like whatever it may be this thing of um i i really like how 
I'm, I'm blanking on his name. You'll, I, I think you'll know his name, but uh, the uh, the War of Art. Oh yeah, Stephen Pressfield. Yeah, I really love how he talks about, and someone who's out there quite a bit on different podcasts of how still today he's been a writer for thirty or forty years, and still today he experiences a bit of resistance to do something that he wants to do to write a particular book that he wants to write, that he has a particular idea about in his head. And you could maybe call that, you know, he's calling it resistance. And I I like that term and I get it, but it's a bit of anxiety. It's a bit of what Kierkegaard and these type of people were talking about. There's a book, the meaning of anxiety by um, Rollo May that, Maybe I uh, read about a year ago or so, but, you know, they're talking about this idea of anxiety, just understanding that it's just part of being human. And I mean, they differentiate between they call like a normal anxiety and obviously there's Mm -hmm. different levels and things like that. But the normal anxiety, like there isn't a place as a human being where they're charting out on new courses and navigating their life where the anxiety is zero. and even like Pressfield, he's still, he's done it. He's uber successful, written, you know, tons and tons of books that have become movies and things like that. And he is still experiencing resistance and anxiety. It's a, it's a strange thing as a human, but I experienced this even, uh, I I've been wanting to do this basically like free course for what I called wisdom 101. You know, I, I want to, offer this it's the on basically the timeless art of leading a life and i started it a few weeks ago and even up into doing that the own my own resistance of you know and anxiety from doing that well like you know who am i to you know deliver this five-week course wisdom 101 is it you know like all sorts of just stuff that if it's something that you want to do that you have to walk through and keep moving forward and, and do it. And I'm, and I'm really glad that I, that I did, but I could have easily, and I, I get what you're saying in terms of that demature or maybe get comfortable where it's mm-hmm. like, well, I don't have to do that. You know, maybe if I, if I really wanted to do it, I wouldn't experience any sort of resistance or anxiety, which just isn't the case. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine that, that, I mean, I was a little anxious before this, this talk. Um, you and I have talked before. Um, I, there's, you know, you're not, you don't intimidate. You're very easy to talk to. Um, but I, I cared about it conveying myself well. You know, anxiety to, to a large extent, uh, you know, in the right proportions is, is really a good indicator that you're, you're doing things that matter that, that you care about. And to, to live without anxiety is to not care about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and to not, not ever be putting yourself on the line for something you care about. Um, at least in my experience, uh, I, I, and to go a step further to, you know, for like to your example, um, of your wisdom 101, the, um, I would, I would in Stephen Pressfield, I would imagine over and over again, what separates successful people from those who aren't is, is that successful people are, are, have made it a habit to act when they feel anxious rather than to run. Yeah, it's a, such an important point. And I appreciate you sharing that. And I, I would say, 
I get anxiety every single one of these, you know, for maybe 10 or 15 minutes before. And this is probably number 125 or so, you know, of these. And again, you know, we've connected before and chatted a bit in email and there's still some mild, you know, anxiety and nerves that, uh, that come about really, really interesting, but such an important thing. And I, I don't think it's really talked about enough around this whole being, being human thing. And, you know, it's a bit of the, what we were talking about of the reality, you know, what is the reality? What is the experience of, of being human, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that's a, uh... But the you, know, you are going to die. That's one of those things I think parents like. If you're talking about adulthood, um, I think that's something that you know. Obviously, there's the Ernest Ernest Becker idea, the denial of death, that that's there in all of us. That anxious feeling it really drives a lot a lot of us. Um, so you go real deep there. But largely, our youth development paradigm, our schools, our our parenting in general avoids anything uncomfortable. We avoid these uncomfortable topics um, because they're uncomfortable just because of that. And I know that uh, maybe I was younger than most people uh, to think through this at a really deep level. You know, my dad was a doctoral philosophy professor, so that <laughs> shaped me. But uh, yeah, when, when I when I really stopped and thought about death as a young man, it haunted me for a while. Uh, I, and, 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 you know, it, it's just a haunting idea when you really allow yourself to sit there and think on it. Um, and I think often we don't do that. Uh, I think, you know, I think whether you're Christian or, 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 you know, whatever religion, but, but, you know, a lot of people in the U S are Christian. I think so too many Christians, um, they hide themselves from ever thinking about death because they just, they say, well, I'll go to heaven. I believe this. So I get to go to heaven and that, that way I never have to think about this. And there's kind of an immaturity there that I think leaves your spirituality very superficial. Um, and leaves you from really thinking about what you really believe and, uh, you know, experiencing the anxiety that that is maybe a prerequisite to being a fully mature adult. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I'm uh, I'm always struck and have admiration for uh, Mr. Rogers <laughs> when you think of. You know, what was that, uh, 20, 30 years ago, maybe more than that. But on TV, really bringing that in as a kid's show, bringing in these important topics of, of death and divorce and anything mm-hmm. under the sun. Um, yeah, it's such um, such an important thing to just have have honest conversations about life and maybe explore questions, even if they are questions that make us uncomfortable. But our, our our time has flown by again here, Shane, and I've got a, a final wrap-up question that I, I think I threw at you last time. But let me let me shape it a bit. So you said you you work with some young adults in this men's group. You know, if one of these young guys asks for a few minutes of your time to stay after the meetup and hits you with what is wisdom? 
you know, how do you, how do you approach that to maybe a young person, you know, in under, you know, three or four minutes, like what comes to mind there? Um, wisdom is, is better understanding. I'll go with the definition, then I'll, I'll pull back some layers. Oh, you know, the wisdom in my, in my mind is, is developing a capacity for, for better judgment and better action. Uh, and so, so being able to identify what is the better course, uh, and, you know, from context to context and then being able to act on it. Um, that's, the, that's definition. That's the definition in my mind. Um, but, you know, to really make that kind of come to life, you know, when you're young, uh, in in a good education, when you're young, I think the point is is finding truth and being right. Um, and then as you get older, you start to realize that there, there could be what's you know maybe a metaphorical truth. Um, you know, that, that there's there's uh, there there are more complex um, there there's more complexity there than just than just truth that that there is timing that there are battles you don't fight uh that there is a way to convey the truth o- over time um that that uh the the you have to know your context you have to know um you know the capacity uh the mental uh the, the mental models of the people around you and how to communicate to them so what looks like cowardice what might have looked like cowardice when you were 16 is actually good judgment uh when you're 30 you're realizing oh this is part of a longer strategy uh this is part of a you know a, a recognition uh about the psychology of communication and, and 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 just telling people and showing them where they're wrong actually doesn't ever teach them where they're wrong or you know something to that effect um so I think wisdom again wisdom is the a better capacity for judgment depending on the context and a, and, and a greater capacity to act on that judgment um but uh, uh the context is the really important part of it i think uh really really understanding uh the layers involved in each context let me ask a a follow up, if I could, because now I'm I'm channeling this young man that just asked this question. Like, <laughs> Good, you know, how does one become wiser? You know, what does you know? You could say this 16 year old or 66 year old, any anywhere. Maybe it's the same across the board, or maybe it's different. But how does one become wiser? I think you commit to some sort of contemplative practice you read wisdom uh wisdom that has that that has you know been wisdom for hundreds of years you commit to reading as a way of being um you commit to some sort of contemplative practice um uh, that teaches you about your mind uh meditation journaling um so you commit yourself to self-study, but you also commit yourself to a lifestyle of growth, a lifestyle um, where you are putting yourself on the line. Um, because I think I think there is no wisdom without experience, too. 
Um, and, and so, uh, to, to th- those things, if you're committed to growth and you're committed to, 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 to reading wisdom traditions, if you're, if you're committed to, 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 to practices, to some of these timeless practices, um, then over time you'll, you know, there's, there's going to be more and less fruitful books, more and less fruitful days. Um, over time you'll, you'll approach that. Um, you'll, uh, the, and the other thing I would say is to, is to find people you consider wise, uh, mm-hmm. and, and try to, uh, you know, so much of what we've been talking about today is the hero's journey and there's no hero's journey without the mentor. Um, so to, to find people that you admire and learn from them, uh, absolutely important. Well, I love it. That is a beautiful way to wrap it up. I'm super grateful for you taking the time to connect again. Again, your book for the listeners is Setting the Bar. I highly recommend it. Where would you point listeners that are maybe interested in connecting or learning more about what you're up to in the world, Shane? Thanks, Josh. Yeah, it was a blast. Um, the, the easiest way to get get in contact with me is through my website, trottershane.com. It's trottershane.com. There's a form there that goes right to my email. Um, I'm also I'm, I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I have a Twitter. Um, I'm not consistent on any of them. Like I'm like weekly. Uh, that might change at some point, depending on, you know, how how I determine the world demands those, those avenues. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, through my emails is the most reliable through, through my website and the email form. All right. Beautiful. Well, we'll link it in the uh, show notes. So it's easy for people to find Shane Trotter. Thank you so much for coming back on in search of wisdom, man. Awesome. Thanks, Josh. Thank you for listening. I hope you found something useful. If so, I encourage you to put what you heard into practice. You can learn more at perennialleader.com. There you'll find links to show notes, our daily email newsletter, and reading in the good life, a free weekly meetup. Until next time, be wise and be well.